Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Good morning. Um, so the title of my message today is Turning Fear into Joy. Um, and this has been something I, uh, I started this out uh, looking at it from more of a, a data statistical point of view about fear, um, which is definitely in my comfort zone. I like numbers. I like data. I like information. It's, you know, there's no emotional side to it. It's real simple and easy. So, <laughs> however, my plans got um, completely derailed, uh, and this got gutted, and this is what it turned into. So, um, I have spent a great deal of my life um, in an incredibly toxic relationship with fear, and I never thought anything good could or would come out of my struggle with fear. Um, I was afraid of my father as a child and learned very early on to wait for his emotional response before allowing myself to have one um, because it was easier to, to know what he was going to feel so I could match that. Feelings were something that were weaponized and used against you. Facts were very safe, and that's where you wanted to stay. Um, so I didn't share how I felt about situations. I matched his emotional response. Um, and as I grew older, perfection, that was the name of the game. If I was perfect, if I had perfect grades, if I did all of the right activities, um, then maybe he wouldn't be so angry, and it might give him something to be happy about. Um, but all I gained out of that thought process was an unhealthy fear of failure. To this day, if I think I'm going to look foolish or stupid when I'm trying something new, um, or if I'm not going to be able to do it on the first try, um, it's not happening. I'm not going to do it because that means I'm, not, I'm a failure. Um, and it's even worse if I'm in front of an audience. So it's definitely not happening at that point. Um, why would I want there to be witnesses to my failures? Then came adulthood, and I graduated. I graduated college, moved to New Orleans with Cliff, and it wasn't long before I figured out that I had fallen in love with a man who was just as angry as my father. So in college, I had started to allow myself... Um, the freedom to kind of start feeling my own emotions and have my own feelings about situations. Um, that all came to a screeching halt. And I stopped doing that. Fear of getting into fights stopped it. So I had two responses. I either waited to see how he felt about the situation and then matched it, or I just simply shut down and didn't feel anything because those were the safe options. Um, this only got worse when he got back from his first tour of duty in Afghanistan. And in 2004, before he left for his second tour in Afghanistan, we found out that we were pregnant with Eudora. Now I had a new set of fears to deal with. I was 1,100 miles from home. 
um, from our families and terrified of doing this alone and becoming the same kind of parent my father was. On February 26, 2005, Eudora was delivered by emergency C-section three months premature. I was told my daughter had a 15% chance of survival. Cliff was sent home from Afghanistan and withdrew into himself while I struggled with the fear of Eudora dying and a sense of failure for not having been able to protect her on my own. Skip ahead to 2007. We had moved back to West Virginia, purchased land, and began building our home. I had never done any kind of construction before, and I was trying to learn with an audience in front of people who had been doing it for years. So, like, zero stress there. <laughs> no pressure. Um, during this time, I found out that we were pregnant with Cora May. And I knew my body had failed Eudora. And I lived in constant fear of failing our second child as well. But I couldn't talk to Cliff about this. And the fear of looking like our marriage wasn't perfect meant I wouldn't talk to anyone else. And my relationship with God was non-existent. In February 2008, Cora was born perfectly healthy. But by the time we went to her 10-day checkup, she was diagnosed with RSV. We spent a week in Wetzel County Hospital and then were transferred to the pediatric intensive care unit at Ruby and Morgantown. An ambulance was sent to transport her because she was too sick to move without medical care. And again, I had a nurse telling me that my daughter might not survive. And again, I was drowning in this fear alone. I spent the next 12 years trapped by fear. My marriage was a mess. I was shut down, angry, in danger of becoming the type of parent that my father was and sometimes fulfilling that fear. I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And going to God hadn't even crossed my mind. He was not the answer I was looking for. And more importantly, why would he want to waste his time with me? So I'm going to pause here, and we will come back to this at the end. After going through the story of the shepherds and the example that they can be for us. So before we jump into our scripture, everybody would bow their heads in prayer. Um, Heavenly Father, let our, let our hearts, hearts be open to your word today. And let us learn everything that we can from this, this story of the shepherds on the night of Christ's birth. Guide us and watch over us and give us wisdom. And teach us to, to follow your son and be more like him every day. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we are in Luke 2, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, 
and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So, we start this passage out in verse 8. And the shepherds that night were just going about their normal routines on the night of Jesus' birth. I imagine they were feeding their flock, gathering the flock together for the night, checking the animals for any injuries or illnesses, deciding who was going to have first watch that night, sitting around a fire, joking, talking with one another, relaxed, unconcerned, and complacent in their lives, completely unaware that everything was about to change in an instant. In verse 9 it says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the next moment, God's glory is thrust upon them, and an angel is standing before them. They weren't given any warning about this pivotal moment. The angel of the Lord did not call them up a month before all this happened to set up a meeting, then send them a reminder email with an agenda a few days before the meeting. Instead, they are caring for their sheep, and an angel appears in front of them with the glory of the Lord shining all around them. Not just the angel, but the shepherds too. Can you imagine the shock and terror they were feeling? You're at work, you're doing your job, sending out emails, checking things off your to-do list, maybe wondering about what you're wondering what you're going to make for dinner, normal stuff, nothing to get excited about. Then bam. An angel is standing in your office and the glory of God is shining all around you. Personally, I'm going to need new pants. <laughs> Their world and everything that they thought they knew was irrevocably and forever changed in that split second. And they were terrified. Scripture says that they were filled with great fear. But what's interesting when you start to dig is the Greek word that fear was translated from, the word phobio, and from the root phobos, does mean to frighten, panic, put to flight. But it can also be used to indicate reverence and a sense of awe. At this moment, they must, must have been feeling both types of fear because they didn't turn and run for the hills. They stayed in the midst of this display of God's power and majesty. Now, before moving on to the next verse, um, I want to give some background on the shepherds and their status in this culture. Most theologians support the idea that the shepherds of the time were social outcasts and would have been considered unclean. They would not have been allowed in the temple to worship due to them being considered ceremonially unclean. Um, they would have not, uh, and they would, just like women, they would not have been allowed to give testimony in a court of law. Um, partly, uh, part of this was due to their, their way of speaking. They had a tendency to use thine and mine interchangeably, which could become very confusing. <laughs> Um, so mine and yours were all the same to them. It could be used no matter what the situation. Um, 
while I was studying, I did come across some opinions that suggested the shepherds were of higher status in society. But I tend to disagree with this, this um, theory because I see scripture showing time and time again that God uses the weak, the unqualified, the undervalued. As Paul says in Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God is choosing the outcasts of society to be the heralds of his perfect plan to save all of mankind. So moving into verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel begins to interact with the shepherds, saying, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. In the original Greek, the word for I bring you good news is euangelot. Euangela Zomai, sorry, um, which means to proclaim the good news. Not just good news, but the good news. And this is the only occurrence of this word in the Bible. This word is also where we get the word evangelize. On this night, the angel of the Lord was the first to share the gospel with a group of people who were considered too unclean to worship God in the temple and too unreliable to be believed in a court of law. This moment and this lonely field, with these forgotten people, the birth of the Savior was proclaimed to be news of great joy for all people. Not just the Jews, not just the rich, not just the religious, not just the politically or societally important people, but all people. Did the shepherds realize how far reaching that proclamation was? Probably not. But I do hope in that moment they realized how much God loved them and that the news of the birth of the Messiah was for them. Verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The angel tells them where to look in the city of David, which they would have known as Bethlehem. And then they are told what to look for. Not a child in a palace or a home of the religious elite, but a baby wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in the feeding trough of a barn. Not exactly the most majestic place to find the Messiah who had been foretold by so many prophets. In verse 13. And suddenly there was a, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. After, we, after giving these instructions, the angel is joined by a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This verse really struck a chord with me. And I have two different directions that I want to go with it, and hopefully I will be able to express the joy in both. Now, we all hear this verse every year at Christmas time, and we, we all know the Christmas carol lyrics, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Um, and obviously, looking at the world around us, this doesn't refer to political peace or societal peace. But my thoughts about the peace in this verse were always on the level of finding peace in our heart, um, mind, and soul in Jesus, which is an amazing gift, and we should thank God constantly for that gift. 
but I'd never really thought about this phrase any deeper than that. So I'm at work and listening to some sermons by Tim Keller, like normal. And the next one up in my podcast queue is on the same passage from Luke that I had been studying. Now I'm thinking, oh, this is great. You know, I'd love to hear his opinion on this. And, you know, maybe he's going to point me in a direction I hadn't thought of. The message starts, and I'm listening, and I'm enjoying the message, but I'm not really hearing anything different than I'd ever heard before. Um, And then he gets to this verse and starts talking about the implications of peace, the peace the angels are praising God for, and his words stop me in in my tracks. God sent his son to be the truce between us and him. Jesus is our peace treating that allows us to be adopted into the family of God. Scripture says in Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments, expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. We are at odds with God, and without Jesus Christ, we cannot be at peace with him. Romans 8, 6 through 7 says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. The Bible tells us again and again and again that there is hostility between us and God. The angels were telling the shepherds that God had sent all people away to be at peace with him. Only by accepting Christ as our Savior and being washed in his blood can we be at peace with God. This is where the joy of Christmas is. Secondly, The shepherds are now surrounded by a host of angels that just appear out of nowhere and begin praising God. I would imagine that this would be another moment of fear for the shepherds, and I would certainly be afraid. But scripture doesn't mention it at all this time. There are two reasons for this that occurred to me while studying the passage, and these are purely my opinion. (laughs) Um, One, the most important thing in verses 13 and 14 is that God is being praised for this incredible soul-saving work he has just done for an undeserving and ungrateful creation that is completely unaware of how desperately we need a Savior. Two, this is where I see the turning point for the shepherds. This is the moment that I believe the awe and reverence for God's holiness begins to outweigh the terror of their minds being confronted with something so far outside of their understanding and where hope begins to creep into their hearts. If the shepherds were Jewish, they would have been at least aware of the teachings of the prophets in the Old Testament. But there's a big difference between knowing something and seeing that something happen right in front of you. They were experiencing God's power through his messengers for the first time, not just hearing about it. This was a personal experience, not a Sabbath school or Sunday school lesson. Everything in that moment, the fear and confusion, had to take a back seat to the angels worshiping and praising God. 
verse 15 and 16. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. The angels leave the shepherds in the field and go back to heaven. I picture them standing in that field that is now dark and silent, mouths hanging open, looking at each other like, did that really just happen? Finally, someone breaks the silence, still in awe, still feeling a hope that they don't quite know where it's coming from and says, okay, God told us where the Messiah is, so let's go see. Let's go find out for ourselves. And then they leave their sheep. Shepherds didn't leave their sheep in a field alone and unsupervised. Leaving sheep unattended and loose in the field is like giving your toddler a set of permanent markers and a ladder and leaving them in the living room for 60 minutes. Nothing good is going to come of this. <laughs> but knowing this, they still felt compelled to leave their sheep and go and look for the child that the angels had told them about. They didn't take time to build a makeshift pen or find some other shepherds to look after the sheep. Scripture says they went with haste. They were giving up everything for this message God had sent to them. By leaving, they knew they could lose their jobs, the ability to provide for their families, the animals placed under their care, and yet none of that mattered because they had been told that the Messiah had been born and where to find him. They knew this was of more importance than anything else and were willing to make this sacrifice to go and see the miracle they had been told about. And they found exactly what the angels had told them about. Mary and Joseph in a stable with the Messiah lying in a manger wrapped in strips of cloth. Hope, not fear, was a driving force behind their journey in the middle of the night. Verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known saying that had been made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The hope that caused them to go out, go search out the baby, had been turning into a joy that could not be contained. They told everyone that would listen about the child and what the angels had told them about the child. They felt compelled to share the good news that they had been blessed with. Every, blessed with everyone that crossed their path. The people that the shepherds encountered were filled with wonder and awe at what they had to share, but the scripture doesn't give any indication that people really understood what was happening. They knew something amazing had happened, but had not yet begun to grasp the magnitude of Jesus' birth. The lack of understanding by their audience did not dampen the shepherds' joy or their desire to share this news with everyone. Verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. In writing this account of the angel's announcement of the birth of the Messiah to the shepherds, Luke takes a moment to share Mary's perspective of the shepherds coming to the stable to see her son. I would imagine that most of us who have had children did not have strangers showing up in our hospital rooms to come see our baby. <laughs> it doesn't happen. And I don't imagine that it would have been much different in that culture. You wouldn't expect shepherds to be coming out of the fields because you had a baby. She, her perspective is so unique in this. She's actively storing these memories and she's analyzing them. 
She's considering all of these things that she's seen and all of these things that she's heard. Her response is not one of amazement or wonder, but one of thoughtfulness and deep consideration. And I wonder, since we're not told in the passage if her mind was filled with a softer, sadness-tinged joy or quiet apprehension at what would become of the tiny baby she was now responsible for. Verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The shepherds complete their physical and emotional journey by returning to the field where this incredible night began. They began their night in abject terror and ended the night filled with unimaginable joy. They began the night as lonely shepherds disregarded by society and ended the night as messengers of God preaching the birth of the Messiah to everyone they met. They met God in their fear, followed him through the fear, and God blessed them by turning their fear into joy that would be shared with all people forever. And God will do the same for us if we let him. We have to trust that he is with us when everything seems to be falling apart and we are lost and flailing in our fear. Which brings me back to my story. In June of 2020, and if you've been here for a while, I'm sure you've probably heard this, Eudora ran away from my mom's house while I was at work. Schools have been closed since March due to the COVID pandemic, and both the girls have been at my mom's house every day since the schools closed. Everything was shut down. We weren't able to go anywhere because nothing was open, and Cliff and I were both spending more time drinking in our neighbor's garage than we should have been, and we were failing as parents to our daughters when their world had fallen into chaos. We were part of the chaos instead of being a place of peace. Eudora had a meltdown, and took off at my mom's house right outside of Middleburn and went out Bridgeway. And if you know the area, this is quite the trek. Um, Went out Bridgeway all the way out past Ivers Flats on a narrow one-lane road filled with water bottle trucks, large trucks, oil and gas traffic, uh, to a friend's house that lived out there. My mom called me and said that she and Eudora had gotten into an argument and that she couldn't find Eudora. At first, I wasn't super worried, but I figured she had gone for a walk up the trail in the woods behind my mom's house um, and was pouting. I went to the house and there was no sign of her. I went up the trail, I was yelling for her, no response, and I started panicking. We called the sheriff's department and I called Cliff. And we're just in full hysteria at this point. Um, Three officers showed up at the house and began asking for a description and a timeline. And my cell phone rings. The mother of Eudora's friend, who was someone I had gone to school with and graduated from high school with, was on the phone and said, Eudora's at our house and she's safe. I have never felt that kind of relief wash over me in my life. I told her that I would meet her at the bus garage to get Eudora and called Cliff to let him know she was safe and we had found her. The officers wanted to have a chat with her, which I was all for because I was in no state to be trying to say anything to her at this point um, and wasn't able to do much more than cry in relief that she was safe and found and I was bringing her home. 
When we went home that night, Cliff and I had a long talk and knew some changes had to be made. We decided that we needed to be going to church as a family and decided to begin church shopping that Sunday. I had grown up in the Seventh-day Baptist Church and uh, had been to a couple services here at the Payne City First Baptist Church as a child and suggested we start here. And Cliff agreed. This is my moment where hope started to creep back into my life. Sunday morning, everyone got up, got dressed, showed up for services as a family. This was the first time in our marriage that my husband and I had made a commitment to going to church together as a family and making it a priority in our lives. We enjoyed the service and the message and decided we'd come back the next week and see if the next service would be as good as the one we just attended. Um, for the record, the girls were sold after the first service. They were insistent that we were coming back and never leaving. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, so we came back next Sunday, and we never went anywhere else because we had found a home. Since that decision was made to attend church together as a family, God has filled my heart with more joy than I ever thought I was allowed to have. I have seen my husband accept Jesus, Christ as his Savior, and grow into the man that I always knew he could be. I have watched him finally step up, lead our family with the love and dedication that scripture prescribes. I have watched Eudora grow in her faith, find a sense of self that she desperately needed, and lose some old friends to gain new ones who encourage and support her in her faith. I have watched Cora May go from a place of un unbelief and struggling with atheism to standing on the stage and giving a message with more wisdom than I would have ever had at the young age of 15. My family is thriving, growing in faith and wisdom and putting God at the center of our relationships with each other. My marriage is healthy and whole now that God is our focus. I do still struggle with fear, but every day it's a little less. And even with those struggles, God has still taken all of my fears and turned them into joy. But more importantly, and most importantly, he has taken the fear of the grave and turned it into the joy of eternal life through the birth of his son, Jesus Christ, which is an invitation open to all of us. Today is the day. Accept him as your savior there is, I'm not going to say it's going to be easy. I'm not going to say that you're going to be happy all the time. I'm not going to say you're going to get everything you want. Life is still going to be hard. There's still going to be struggle. There's still going to be trouble. But God doesn't promise us happiness and stuff. He does promise us peace with him and finding joy in him. So if you have not accepted Jesus as your Savior, please, please today, Reach out to any of the leaders in the church, any of our elders, Doug, Phil, Jeff, Wayne, Jonas, and Ashley. You know, it, talk to us. Come see us. But we want, I want this for you. I want you to find this joy in your life that God has blessed me with. So that is all I have. <laughs> um, so if um, the worship team would like to come up, I will...
offer a quick prayer, and um, they will take it away. Uh, everyone will bow their heads, please. Heavenly Father, as we move further into the Christmas season, give us the boldness of the shepherds to share the joy we find in our Savior, Jesus Christ, with everyone we meet. And give those that are searching and lost the courage to accept the gift of salvation offered to all people through your Son, so that they may find the peace with and within you and be surrounded in the joy that can only be given by you. All I ask, this I ask in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.